Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey there, and a good morning to you. It's Monday, July 22nd, 2019. And uh, hope you all got through this sweltering weekend. God. Uh, we better get used to it because there's just going to be more and more of that. There is little doubt. I was just reading an article saying that uh, we've, we're have we going to have to get used to um, tons and tons of above 90 degree days in the summer with high humidity. So I guess we'll get to the point where they won't get as hysterical as they seem to on the news this weekend about it. Uh so, one more thing about uh, what happened 50 years ago this weekend, and that was the landing on the moon. Um, and I came across something that just blew my mind because I'm surprised I didn't save the paper because I tend to save newspaper headlines from huge events. Um, but I guess 50 years ago, maybe, maybe I wasn't doing that yet. I was too young to appreciate how I might want to look back to see the coverage at that time. But, uh, one guy in Chicago was rummaging around and found the newspaper his mom had saved of, uh, that day, July 21. 1969, and it was the Chicago Sun-Times, one of two <laughs> newspapers now, then, in Chicago, uh, which makes me, of course, realize that Pittsburgh is not going to have a newspaper very soon. The Pittsburgh Post-Gazette cutting back two more print days leaving just three days a week, right? Or is it four? Three. One, two, they're already down two, two more, four. There are going to be three days where there will be a print newspaper. And um, there is reason to mourn that. So this guy's mother saved the Sun-Times that day. And pawing through it, seeing, you know, it's always fun to look at the ads and what else was going on. By the way, Chappaquiddick was going on. Do you know that that was this? And I don't know, did that, I would think Teddy Kennedy was uh, was lucky uh, that his... Uh, going to call it a misadventure, it was more than that, at Chappaquiddick, which ended in the death of a young woman, Mary Jo Kopechny, uh, didn't get the immediate coverage that it would have if two men weren't standing on the moon at the time. But in this Chicago Sun-Times, to get to it, there uh, at the time, one of their columnists, and a columnist, by the way, that I have uh, read his works to you, 
because I cutting things out that like really blew me away. Sydney J. Harris is somebody whose stuff I've got some clips from him that I have in a little box in my house. You know, things that I, maybe every five, six years I'll open the box and I'll look at this stuff and think, wow. You know, words to live by, wisdom, this, that, and the other thing. Sidney J. Harris was a brilliant man and uh, extremely well-known columnist, national columnist at the time, although he wrote for the Sun-Times. And in that issue, from 50 years ago, was this column from Sidney Harris. And the headline is, The Love It or Leave It Nonsense. You ever get the impression, I mean, just think of that, 50 years of my life, I'm working towards this, I'm hoping for that, presidents have come, presidents have gone, and yet we're still in the same place. Yeah. Let me share some of what he said 50 years ago to the love it and leave it crowd. And they always are the Republicans. They were. They were then too. Sidney Harris has one of the most ignorant and hateful statements that a person can make to another is, if you don't like it here, you, why don't you leave? He goes on, that attitude is the main reason America was founded in all its hope and energy and goodness. The people who came here had been rejected by their neighbors and countries in the old world. They didn't like conditions where they lived and wanted to improve them, if they had been allowed to. Instead, they turned their eyes to America as their last best hope. And now we find that many Americans, smug and fat and entrenched in their affluent inertia, are saying the same ugly thing to their fellow Americans. If you don't like it here, why don't you leave? What's different, of course, and one can only imagine what he would have thought of a president saying it. He says, but most people who want to change conditions do like it here. They love it here. They love it so much they cannot stand to see it, why can't I get this up, to see it suffer the imperfections, from its imperfections, and want it to live up to its ideals. It is the people who placidly accept the corruptions and perversions and inequities in our society who do not love America. 
They love their status, their security, and their special privilege. We not only have a right, we have a responsibility to make our environment as just and as flourishing as the Founding Fathers declared it must be if it were to live up to its aspirations. Let me just cut to the chase. If all the immigrants who came here with high hopes for a new and finer social order had, had been compelled to go back where they came from, there would be no United States of America. This country was born out of dissatisfaction with the old scheme of things and grew on the blood and dedication of people who were not afraid to speak out and work for fundamental changes in the political and social structure. So, <laughs> feel like I'm running in place. We have always been a country divided in this way. Nothing new under the sun. What is new, though, and it is new, is in our lifetimes, a president so willing to blatantly and overtly, no subtlety of, you know, dog whistles. Just go there. And to divide us through this fear of the other and hate of the other. It's really something. I know it's been a Republican strategy forever, Southern strategy, the Willie Horton. I mean, you can go back and see how it played out. But there, it was considered, you know, impolitic to flat out say it. But you know what? The fact that Trump does is why the people who love him love him. That's why they love him. He says what they think. He says it without fear. He says it, and then when everybody goes hysterical, he doubles down. He doesn't apologize. So the people who've been saying love it or leave it, the people who have always stood against progress, they love this guy. I'm beginning to comprehend why now. It doesn't speak well for those people. Huh. David sends me his copy of the Pittsburgh Press. Big headline, Man on Moon. And he tends to collect this stuff too. He says he has VE Day. You weren't even alive. VJ Day. Well, so you had the Kennedy assassinations. I don't have that Super Bowl. Stanley Cups got them all. 
I have, I don't know. I know I have Obama elected. And I used to have the assassinations. All those stuff from 68. But this Sidney Harris thing. Wow. So it was ever thus. We were in the streets fighting them then, and we'll be in the streets fighting them now. The stakes are too high. So it makes perfect sense that the obituary of the day is of a character who was in the streets quite a lot 50 years ago. And who, like, like the late night show comics now, used the reality of our politics as fodder for humor, for ridicule. He believed that mockery was an extremely powerful tool. He co-founded the Yippies, Uh, the yippies, remember them? Not yuppies, yippies. What did that stand for? Young? What did yippie stand for? Somebody help me there. Young something party. Young. They're the ones who uh, nominated um, a pig. I forget the pig's name. In 1968, uh, you know, for president. <clears throat> But they believed in performance art, public theater, taking on the um, establishment in that way. It's the group that tried to levitate the Pentagon (laughs) during the Vietnam War. And, you know, there's always a place for folks that do their activist stuff through humor. And such a man was Paul Krasner, who died at the age of 87. It's, it's no surprise that he, um, he was a writer for Mad Magazine, which has also printed its last, jeez, printed its last issue. And while at MAD, he thought, you know, this is, we're gearing this to teenagers. Uh, I think we could do something like this and gear it to adults. And so he did. And out of the offices of MAD, he started up a publication called The Realist. <laughs> and it was outrageous. And it was kind of uh, out there, to say the least. MAD magazine for, for grown-ups. The New York Times obit says that Krasner actually helped propagate a certain 
absurdist sensibility that encourage people like R. Crumb, the cartoonist, and George Carlin to be more daring in their mockery about the insanity of reality and the hypocrisies that were just out there fully formed but nobody was talking about them. I think one of the funniest things they did, he did. Um, and I know when I was, it would be 1963 that our family went on a family summer vacation, which has gone down in family lore for many reasons. But we stopped on it in New York City and I remember the excitement I felt because we were going to go down to this place called Greenwich Village. <laughs> I think I later found out it was Greenwich Village and look at beatniks and I remember saying to somebody we're I mean the beatnik was the way we look at all these scruffy people so here is this midwestern family green bay wisconsin totally totally unaware of any of what was soon to youth international party thank you yippies thank you So Paul Krasner and a bunch of his buddies who got so sick of these rubes like my family coming down to where they lived in their neighborhood and staring at them like they were freaks in a freak show. A tourist attraction. Let's go look at the beatniks. So in the obit it says he organized in 1968 a group of 60 hippies who turned the tables on um, all these idiot tourists streaming into uh, Greenwich Village to gape at beatniks with cameras dangling around their necks. And so Krasner hired a Greyhound bus and filled it with a bunch of his scruffy friends and they went off on a sightseeing tour of middle-class America. And they'd get off the bus in like a middle-class neighborhood in Queens, and they'd walk around, they knew exactly what to do because they simply parroted what was happening to them on a daily basis in their neighborhood. And the idea of doing that is so wonderful. I just, it made my day. I had to share it with you. And the other wonderful little bit from this Krasner bio 
is um, he, by the way, was uh, really tight with Lenny Bruce. And uh, Bruce, he edited his autobiography, and uh, they were very close friends, not surprisingly. But Krasner, as a child, was a violinist and was a prodigy, such a prodigy, that he played at Carnegie Hall when he was six years old. He was playing this Vivaldi concerto. And his legs started to itch <laughs> while he's, he's doing his thing. His leg is itching. He's six. So while he's playing the Vivaldi with his other foot, he picked up his other foot, still playing the Vivaldi, and started scratching the itch on his other leg, and the audience at Carnegie Hall cracked up. And he said, when he heard that laughter, he loved it. And he loved the sound of the laughter. Gave him more than the sound of applause after one of his recitals. So he stopped practicing. He abandoned his uh, violinist uh, career and from then on went for the laughs. Paul Krasner, prankster, Yippie's founder, dead at 87. Always important to laugh. Always important not to lose our sense of humor. The Washington Post is doing some extraordinary reporting on the opioid crisis. And uh, they have a resource, if you go to them, they have this resource where you can type in any city or county in the United States, and they will lay out to you, to the pill, how many of these pills were sold, distributed, who was selling and distributing, and they have an interactive map of the United States, and it's mind-blowing, because there's one map that shows where most of these pills were. They were all over the U.S., but they were really concentrated, and it is true, West Virginia. West Virginia. And since we ain't far, we got a lot, too. But you see the color of the graph in West Virginia. Then there's another map of deaths, opioid deaths, a map of how many pills were going to specific geographic areas, and then overlay that with a map of how many deaths. And it's mind-blowing. This was like mass murder. This was corporate mass murder. And all the regulators 
we're looking the other way. So the Drug Enforcement Administration, the DEA, had kept a database that, and it's their database that the Post has put out and, and available, that it, it, it tracks the path of every single pain pill sold in the United States. And the Post sifted through 380 million transactions from 2006 to 2012. That's the period they looked at and analyzed it for oxycontin and hydrocodone and all of those pills what pharmacies were getting the hu biggest amounts who were the distributors and it's mind blowing here they have a little interactive feature and i will plug in pennsylvania and Hang on, I thought I had already done this, but it's not happening. Um, come on, baby. And you'd be surprised. I guess what I didn't know is how many of... <laughs> I'm having this problem here. Um, how many of the dis distribution of these drugs occurred through um, reputable pharmacies. I can't get the damn thing to go. Unbelievable. I did at my house. There it is. Okay. Here. Pennsylvania. And then let me do... It's mind-blowing. Allegheny County. Okay. It comes right up. From 2006 to 2012... There were 338,716,252 prescription pain pills that uh, were sold in Allegheny County. Some of those went to me because I had some surgeries uh, then and they would just regularly give you this stuff. I never, I couldn't stand them, never took them. Well, I took one and then never took another. The m More than half of these pills were distributed by McKesson Corporation. So, again, when you start looking at who were the people, who were the corporations that were doing this mass murder, McKesson Corporation would be one. Because they were sending amounts of pills to places um, where there was no way. I mean, people were saying, there were, there's memos, like people saying, well, I don't even understand where they can store all those pills, let alone distribute them. Express Pharmacy Services of Pennsylvania, LLC, Pittsburgh, received the highest number of pills. Now, I don't know what that is. Express Pharmacy Services? Okay, here are the pharmacies, the biggest. Top five pharmacies, Express Pharmacies, responsible for uh, doling out over 18 million of the pills. 
Frank's EPS in Avalon is next. Astis South Hills Pharmacy, third. Omnicare of Pittsburgh, four. And Spartan Pharmacy, number five. The top five distributors. McKesson Corporation, Cardinal Health, CVS, Eckerd Corporation, HBC Service Company. And as you go further on, you also see Walgreens is way up there. Um, just six companies distributed 75% of the pills uh, nationally. And those are McKesson, Walgreens, Cardinal Health, Amerisource, Bergen, CVS, and Walmart. Those were the biggest pushers, distributors of what is going to go down in history as one of the largest mass murders, and I think the largest mass murder in this country. And then you've got the manufacturers. West Virginia, though, when you see the amount of stuff, it's mind-blowing. So there's going to be a bunch of trials coming up. And the first big kickoff is next door in Ohio. And there is enough data now to, like, send a ton of these corporate heads to jail for the rest of their lives. Let's see if that happens. Let's see if that happens. It was really pretty amazing to see Angela Merkel, German, denouncing the hate speech of the American president. <laughs> yeah, 70 years after World War II, when we defeated the Germans and the fascists that had taken over that country. We now have a German chancellor looking with horror at the utterances of the President of the United States. Making its way around Twitter uh, this weekend was a cover story on in Germany's, I think, largest circulation magazine, Stern. Um, and the cover shows Donald Trump draped in the American flag and giving a Nazi salute. When Germans, and I want to say this, uh, people need to be very careful when they look at things like that. If you look closely at the date of that cover of Stern, it wasn't 
now. It was two years ago. Two years ago, the German magazine was already seeing in Donald Trump something they knew. Now, since we've struggled under his leadership for two and a half years, that image resonates uh, more, without a doubt. I will defer to any German about whether or not somebody is looking and sounding and acting like a Nazi. And I think the Germans will tell us that we have a fascist president. So how do you, what do we do? I keep saying, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. It's unbelievable that we could lose the upcoming election. And yet, Democrats have a way about them. And so some of us want to calm down the more strident members of our tribe because we think they give fodder to Trump and the Republicans that then gets turned around and used against us. Others say, are you kidding? <laughs> are you kidding? That moderate route is not the route to go now. I'm not sure, because I think Americans are still mostly moderate. And real radical, just out-and-out out radical uh, leftist uh, stuff scares too many of these, oh, I'm sick of the narrative, of these suburban white women. I don't know. I don't know. And that's what comes of age. Um, many times in the past I've thought I've known the right way to proceed, the right candidate, the obvious winner, and I've been proven wrong. So I sit here chastened and humbled and don't have a clue. One of my nephews, a young person, sent me an email. I think he'd listened to the show and probably was appalled at some of what I was saying. And he says this. I'm so sick and tired. No, I'm, let me get it right. I'm so sick of the hand-wringing about how Democrats are falling for Trump's trap. What the hell else would these pundits have the Democratic Party do? He says. Not forcefully condemn obvious malignant racism? 
If out-and-out racism is a winning political strategy in this country, so be it. It doesn't change the fact that it is morally incumbent upon us all as the opposition to call a spade a spade, more on that later, and fight racism in the strongest terms. I don't want the votes of these mythical racist independents. See, here's where I differ with him. I want every vote I can get. I don't want the votes of these mythical racist independents who would vote for the Dems only if they were even more toothless in confronting Trump's bigotry. I don't want my elected officials to equivocate about bigotry for supposed and to my mind, highly dubious political advantage. It's part of a trend of endlessly viewing Trump's lurching from crisis to crisis as some kind of Machiavellian brilliance. These people, and he's talking about the pundits and the, you know, the guys we all listen to. These people, he say, are so traumatized by calling 2016 wrong, that they've become hand-wringing worry warts. This is an obvious moral and strategic choice for the Democrats to take. Stand strongly, unequivocally against racism. Well said. The passion of youth. He could well be totally right. I got a, a later, uh, and now, now I'm not finding it, I cannot believe this. I got a later thing from him. I guess he sent this to his father as well, and his father just was, was all over him <laughs> for using the term when he's calling out racism, of calling racism, I, well, I'll get the exact thing. Um, it is morally incumbent upon us to call a spade a spade and fight racism in the strongest terms. Well, his father said to him, ah, Hank, uh, call a spade a spade is a racist <laughs> It's a racist thing to say. And Hank said, Thank you for calling Colin Studios host. Had never, again, youth, never had heard that. And he looked up on, I think, Wikipedia and sent to me where Call a Spade a Spade came from. And it's fascinating. Because it had, of course, nothing to do with race. Until. Until. About a hundred years ago. And then, little by little, they talk about how it started to change. And so, it started way back with the Greeks, for God's sakes, I think. Right? So, this is a phrase that's been out there forever. And it meant what it seems to me. You, you tell it like it is. But then, you know, it bumps into this racist country. And let it be known that in certain black 
uh, writers started first using that word spade to mean a black man. So I got, I just wanted to, I wanted to share his, without this getting lost in this call a spade a spade thing. But I think where you come down with it is it's not, it's a phrase that had a perfectly legitimate kind of a raison d'etre and it's, it's, you can't say it anymore, mostly out of ignorance because it just became something else. It's too bad. Because people will take offense. As I wrote back to Hank, I said it's like the word niggardly, which I have used way back when, and now I won't because it sounds too much like It has no derivation from the same. It is. It does not in any. But so we use we lose <laughs> words. Anyway, I wanted to share that uh, with you. Hank might be right. Could well be right. And I totally love his passion. And I, the scared uh, worrywart, might be right. I don't have a clue. Do we have some callers here? One. Okay. Go ahead, caller. Hello. Hi. Hey, hey Lynn. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, you heard on when I called your show probably the last few times how I think the Democrats are going to pull it off and that. Now I don't feel that way anymore. Well, geez. I, 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 well, we'll give it another 12 I, hours. I really, you'll bounce back. Well, I just saw... Stuff that just made me sick of the strong sport in the South that he has, and he just has to pick up a little bit, and he could pick up just enough to make it, and it just it makes you sick. It's and because I of the electoral was, college. It's because of the electoral college. Boy, he, I'm sorry. Go it's ahead. because of the electoral college he could win again. Yeah, I, yeah. It's, it's really it's it's sickening. It's I don't know. I'm like you now. I, I just don't know. I think that's the smart position. <laughs> yeah. Well, I the am, other position makes yeah. you feel a little better. But this yeah. position makes you feel a little bit, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, that's why I always put the other position. It would bring you up a little bit. I know, I know. <laughs> but let's be, uh, I know, I am humbled. I am humbled. I And I. It, it's true, I don't know. I, I have yeah. learned that I don't know my country. Uh, that's what... The last few years have taught me um, there's more hate here than I realized. That's another thing, yeah. I, yeah, I, I just didn't so, realize it was that bad. Yeah, so who am I to make these pronouncements? Yeah. When I live in my little bubble, I know my nephew lives in his little bubble. We don't, we don't know these other, this other America, no. and it's huge. So, and then I think if the people come out that should come out and vote, are all the votes going to be counted? Or are they going to be disenfranchised? I mean, the whole thing, it just, it's a big worry. It really is. It's like, yeah. it's got to just be just right. Or <laughs> yeah, I, I try not to think about it now. 
I quit watching. I kept turning that damn TV on and watching that stupid MSNBC. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's not good for you. And it's it's just, it's not. And it just messes with your head. Don't do it. Yeah, Try to that's right. Watch, find something else you can get into, even if it's the stupidest thing imaginable. But just stay away from that crap. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for listening. No problem. Bye. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening. We all... <laughs> yeah, sure. Um... Hank also had a really good idea. Remember I was saying that uh, William Sapphire, the president's, uh, President Nixon's uh, speechwriter, had come up with a contingency plan and a contingency speech if the uh, Apollo 11 went wrong and if they were trapped on the moon. A speech had to be given. And I, I read... Most of it to you, I think. Of course, it never was given. But um, Hank also said, somebody needs to turn that moon speech scenario into a film. Either one where they actually end up getting stuck up there and you show the human cost and the psychological drama, or one where you just dramatize the behind-the-scenes maneuvering and, and make the speechwriter the main character. <laughs> Well, my word to Hank is, go for it. I don't know. Surely you have some time on your hands up there at uh, in graduate school at Berkeley. Um, what else I got here? Uh, oh. You know, it's a lot of bad stuff. <laughs> it's a lot of bad stuff. Uh, oh, I also want to note the passing of a of a woman, um, a Pittsburgh woman, who I met a few times, but I can't. I wasn't close to, but who clearly was an ast- amazing asset to this city, and. She epitomized what a good citizen is. Her name was Aggie Brose. And uh, she... I bumped into her as a, uh, you know, as a reporter because she was always out there um, doing something to make things better. She... uh, she founded the Bloomfield Garfield uh, Corporation, so she was part of the revitalization of of those neighborhoods. She was always looking out for the little people, and uh, she would go to work. I mean, this is what a community activist looks like. She's a great grandmother. She was the nicest person. I mean, I I don't know I. Don't think it'd be possible to have known Aggie Bros and not to have just loved her. I mean, I, that was my sense every time I was in her company. Uh, she was something. And uh, 
I just want to note her passing, and Pittsburgh is 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 the better for her li- having lived amongst us, and we are the poorer for her absence now. Oh boy, we got a call. I'm sorry, I that that was a sigh, but I didn't start with it. Right? I didn't start with it. Caller, hello. Hello? Hello? Yes, am I on? You sure are. Okay, I just want to say that I feel we need to abolish the electoral college vote. I'm with you. We need to make sure every vote counts. Here, here. And with that, we're proving to people that the... Every vote does not count. Right, right. I'm I'm totally with you. The problem is that's a tough thing to do because it's in our Constitution, and that means you have to pass a constitutional amendment. And the way our country's divided now, there's no way enough state legislatures are going to sign off on that or the Congress, so we can't do it. Yeah, but it's so unfair. Of it was course. started during slavery. Yeah. And it does tell, it proves to people that their vote doesn't count. Exactly. And I believe we should go to the populist vote. Hillary won the populist right. vote. And to avoid another catastrophe, we should get back to the democracy of proving to our young people. So many people say they're not voting anymore because their vote doesn't count. The Electoral College proves it. Yeah. I hear you. God, I wish there was a way to do it. I so agree with you. It might have, you know, I guess the way it was there because the founding fathers couldn't get enough of votes to establish, you know, the the Constitution without getting, um, without having that apparatus uh, in place. And it came a little bit later. It was added as as an amendment because it really the only people who could originally vote were white male landowners and they were <laughs> later as other people be, uh, got the right to vote they became outnumbered so they devised this system to keep themselves in power and it's still effective today and it's totally unfair we just saw in the last election how unfair it is And I suggest to everybody, write letters, speak out, scream up, and uh, let our elected officials know that at least for the presidency, it should be the populist vote. If that's what the American people want, that's what it should be. But we're not hollering loud enough to make them hear us. From your lips to God's ears, and I thank you very much. I can't agree with you more. Thank you. And I thank you. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. I recognize that voice. That's the receptionist downstairs. <laughs> ah, sweet guy. Yeah, that's who that was. I love it. Um, did we have another call? No. Yes, we have another call. Okay, caller, go ahead, please. Hey, man, it's Dave from Washington. Dave from Washington. 
Don't expect red states to get rid of the Electoral College. The, only, the last two Republican presidents have only gone in because of the Electoral College. That is correct. Uh, they, Al Gore, yeah, so wait, Al Gore had uh, more Americans voted for Al Gore than for George W. Bush, and George W. Bush was yep. the president, and more Americans voted for Hillary Clinton than Donald Trump, and yet Donald Trump is the president, and something is seriously wrong with that. Since since 19, well, George H.W. Bush won in 1988. Since then, they've only won the popular vote once, and that was Bush in 04. And that gets to my next point, and I have said this before. Never underestimate the Democrats' ability to lose an election. Yeah. And I've said this to you before, too. This is why I refuse to join their party, even though I vote for them all the time. Again, two words, Katie McGinty. Are we going to beat Trump in two years? I don't know. Right. I do not know. I don't yeah. think Bernie Sanders is going to do it because they're just going to throw out socialism, socialism. And the dogs are going to eat it up like mad. Yeah. Um, and, and and media, I want to say media is going to kill us, as they always do, because they love to focus on the extremes. And right. so... so Believe me, uh, the squad is going to continue to get more attention than yeah. maybe Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, because well, the it's, why yeah, well, that's why he called him out, right? And the media go right into doing his bidding as they always do, and you know, the squad represents. A minority of uh, they've been in Congress for six months. Uh, I appreciate their passion, their youth, and their whatever. But my God, they are going to be the face of the Democrats, and that will lose us an election. I assure you, that will lose us an election. Yeah, that's that's why he's going after them and not the uh, candidates running against him. That's correct. For freshman congresswomen who have very little power, but that's what they're going to focus on. And, uh, you know, the, the, the Trump tards, as I call them, I realize it's a nasty term, but that's the way they are. Um, they're going to be all over it. And, you know, that's why, again, I'm glad I'm not a Democrat. I don't know who to vote for because I don't really like any of them. Well, the thing is, I like all of them, but I'm not sure who's electable. Yeah, right. I know. I know the feeling. Who knows? And he's and he is the troll in chief, and thinks that trolling works. It fires up those people susceptible to that sort of propaganda and brainwashing. And you know, I, I don't know. All the Dems can do is just keep running tapes of him saying, "I believe Putin." Very fine people. I believe Putin. Very. Just keep running that over and over and over again. Otherwise, they're going to lose. <sighs> I, I feel your pain. <laughs> I really do. Uh, I'm glad I'm getting old, Lynn. I'm going to die probably in the next 20 years, and I don't care what happens now. <laughs> do you know what? Speaking of that, wait, speaking of that, I, I was in the park the other day walking my dog, and this guy had that um, had that app on his phone that you take a picture of yourself and it ages you 20 years. Have you heard about okay. that? Yeah. I've heard about it. Okay, okay, yeah. and the Russians apparently are the ones who are, it's like people are being told not to do it. 
And yeah, because then your picture ends up on somebody's database. I know, and I said, why the hell would... I said, I'm already old. I mean, 20 years, <laughs> I'll be dead. I don't need... What, is it going to show me in a grave? Show a skeleton? <laughs> but he did take a picture of this guy that was there, and it was mind-blowing what it did to that guy. If I were that yeah. guy, I'd just kill myself right now. Uh, well, I don't know. What you do is you... What you do is you go find a good headshot of you as, when you were younger yes. and take a picture of that yes. and see if it looks like what you look like today. There. That's right. I suppose it really felt like doing that, but okay. <laughs> all right, anyways, you know, the Dems, they, God damn those guys, you know, I vote for them all the time, but I hold my nose and do so. Me too. Although we do seem to win the popular vote, it just doesn't do us a lot of good. Isn't that something? Oh, we well. always get the most, the, we get the most votes and we lose. What is the wrong only, with this picture? The, the only popularity contest in the entire world where the person with the most votes does not necessarily win. <laughs> Way to go, Founding one. Fathers. Not your greatest, not your greatest uh, moment. So. Yeah, but the Republicans don't stand a chance without it. So, yeah. All right. Thank you very much. You have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> oh, my, 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 my. Yeah. I had a thought in my head and it disappeared. I'm sorry. Um, uh, no, I'm looking for something and can't find it. Oh, by the way, Trump was tweeting up a storm this weekend and um, he uh, retweeted a British woman four times over the weekend. Her... And her name is Katie Hopkins. Katie Hopkins is racist to the core. She's also an anti-Semite. And our president is thinks she's brilliant and is sending out her crap. Katie Hawkins, just to clarify who she is for you, after the massacre at Tree of Life Synagogue here in Pittsburgh, she pinned the blame on the rabbi. Let me get her tweet. <laughs> 